Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the future of work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine to five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. Before we get started with our guest, I wanted to remind everyone that this coming weekend I will be publishing the third Emily's Past Consulting newsletter, which includes some interesting research findings, updates on previous podcast guests, teasers about future guests, and a Q&A interview. If you have not subscribed to it yet, please head over to our website emilyspath.ca, which is E-M-I-L-Y-S-P-A-T-H dot C-A and sign up under publications. The website also includes all of the previous episodes, including the show notes, and you can subscribe to the Job Sharing and Beyond podcast via your favorite listening platforms. And now, without further ado, I am very excited to introduce my guest, Jennifer Hargreaves, to you. Jennifer's professional experience spans three continents across brand strategy and international market development. She is the founder of Talent, which bridges the talent gap in the new work economy. Jennifer and her team work with opportunity seekers and businesses to make work work better for everyone. She has built and supported a community of over 8,000 professional job seekers, freelancers, and employers that understand, value, and promote flexible work. Jennifer is an enthusiastic contributor on topics pertaining to the progression of women in the workforce and the rise of the gig economy and has represented Canada at the Canada-US Council for Advancement of Women Entrepreneurs and Business Leaders Roundtable in New York. She has also designed and facilitated several roundtable discussions with representatives from companies such as Move the Dial, TD Bank, Loyalty One and Randstad Canada around topics such as innovation, leadership and talent planning in the future of work. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. I always ask my guests, where are you calling in from? And is there a particular site or food that would be of interest to somebody visiting your area? Well, right now I am sitting in my house in Toronto in Canada. And there is usually so much to see and do in a thriving, busy city. which is not really the case right now with COVID going on, but there's still plenty to do in my particular area. We're surrounded on three sides by parks. So we've got High Park, um, we have Lakeshore on Lake Ontario, and we have the Humber River, which is great for getting outside, doing some exercise and just breathing in the fresh air. That sounds really, really nice. I have to say, I haven't really been much to Toronto, so definitely something to look forward to. So now, Jennifer, you are the founder of Talent. Um, Could you tell our listeners more about why you created your company? Absolutely. 
So Talent is a flexible work recruitment and social impact organization. So we help women find work that works for them. And our mission is really to close the opportunity equity gap. So I started Talent because it was basically born out of a personal need as most companies are, where I couldn't find a job opportunity that would allow me to achieve the goals that I had set for myself in my career, as well as to be the kind of parent um, and live the kind of life that I really wanted to lead. So I started looking at, okay, where are these jobs where I can have both a career and a life? And, I, and they really just weren't easy to find. And then companies at the same time were saying, you know, we need more women in senior leadership. We need to get more women engaged. How can we get women on senior execs um, and get women on board? But there was nobody really paying attention to what was happening on the, in the middle uh, at mid-career level. And we were also seeing uh, research reports come out from PwC and we did our own research as well that showed experienced professional women. The number one thing they look for in an employer is a culture of flexible work and work-life balance. So my big question really was, why aren't these companies talking about their flexible work policies if that's what's going to attract and retain top female talent? So I saw this big hole in the market and I set out to fill it and really come up with solutions to help women connect to great employers and also help employers connect to amazing talent. One of the findings of the recently um, released Women in the Workforce report from Lenin and McKinsey said that one in four women in the US are considering downshifting their careers or leaving the workforce altogether because of COVID-19. Now, what have you seen in your talent community here in Canada with, relate, with regard to COVID? So our talent community is made up of professional women at mid-career level. And at mid-career level, a lot of women are having children or have children. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say 90% of our community are working mothers. And what we've seen with working mothers throughout sort of the COVID journey um, was that those who had taken a step back from their career to homeschool because all of the infrastructure that allowed women to contribute to the workforce most fully sort of went away overnight. So mm -hmm. grandparents, schooling, childcare, household help, all of it disappeared and somebody had to look after the kids. Uh, and when you have a dual working family and uh, you think about whose career is going to be prioritized with the possibility of a global recession and all these job losses, one career is going to be prioritized. And in most cases, it's going to be the man's um, because they earn more, because the job's more reliable, um, because it's more steady, and it's usually more of, of a leadership or executive role. Um, so what we found in the community was that a lot of women were taking a step back. They were taking voluntary redundancies. They were putting up their hand to take a break. Um, or they were just quitting their jobs as well, saying, well, somebody needs to focus on the children. I will focus on the children. So when it came to looking at getting back into the workforce, we saw that women weren't even looking. Uh, so women in our community, they weren't even looking for work because there was so much uncertainty about what would happen with schooling. So in Ontario, we had an option to go back into school. The kids could go back to in school for younger kids and high school kids, there was a hybrid model. Um, but no one really knew what that would look like. And all of the information came out really late. Uh, so if you're thinking school starts in September over here, um, we didn't really know what was going on right up until September, pretty much. Is school going ahead? What's it going to look like? Is it going to be a hybrid version? Are we going to have, you know, all in school, all out of school? Are the, are the schools going to shut down again? So this level of uncertainty really saw that women, it's so stressful. Right. And for most women, the childcare responsibilities fell on them. 
our surveys show that 58% of working mothers were the primary caregivers before COVID. So I bet those numbers have gone up post COVID. So with all yeah. that uncertainty, how do you look for a job? How do you go after a job? How do you keep your job? Um, so we really saw that number one, women weren't looking for work um, because there was so much uncertainty. I've just started seeing women coming back and looking for work, but again, flexibility remains key mm -hmm. uh, and paramount because without flexibility, um, this week already, my kids were home all week because they had a cold. Uh, you know, their, their COVID test came out. Right. But if they have a cold now, they have to stay home. So somebody still needs to be able to have the flexibility at their workplace to look after the children. So I've started seeing women come back, but again, they're really looking for part-time flexible or remote roles. And also where there's a value on productivity over hours work. So where can I work somewhere where they're going to look at my results and focus on my results and my output um, versus when I'm in front of my computer uh, and the hours I'm actually working. So um, it's been quite a wild ride, I have to say that, and very emotional uh, and very, very draining for a lot of women. Yeah, it's, I, I so agree. It's like, you know, I read you had an interview with Charlie Cotts and there you shared your own working adjustment, which was very creative. So could you share what you did? It was creative, maybe a bit silly in retrospect, but there you go. Uh, it was exhausting. So again, in my household, personally, my husband has a full-time leadership role. Um, he, his, he is the primary income earner. I am the primary care. I have the more flexible work and I own my own business. Uh, so when COVID hit and we had a discussion about who's looking after the kids now, we had to get creative. And one of those discussions was, do I keep going? Do I keep working? And it was something I had to ask myself because I love working. I absolutely love what I do. And now more than ever, I think the value that my company offers is huge and needed. So I really didn't want to pull back or step back in what I was doing. So I said to myself, okay, yes, I, I want to keep going. What am I going to have to do to make that happen? So there was a lot of negotiation in the household, but I really had to ring fence work time. So I got up, we shifted the kids bedtime. My kids are uh, six and seven. So they're a little bit younger. Um, we shifted their bedtime by a couple of hours so that they didn't get up until eight o'clock. So I had from five in the morning till eight o'clock to get three hours of, of uninterrupted time um, of workflow in. I then took the kids until four o'clock. And then again, I had between four and seven ring fenced. So if anybody wanted me, go away, go and talk to your father was basically the answer there. Um, and they really became my dedicated uninterrupted work hours. I also worked on Saturdays. So Saturdays actually became one of my favorite days because I only had one job to do, which was work on my work. Um, and then the other thing is, is my husband really started picking up more responsibilities around the house. So he learned to cook, which was great. So he took the kids from four to seven um, and he also cooked dinner between four and seven. So there was this huge shift and everybody had to figure out what the new flow looked like, but it seemed to really work. Um, and it, it worked really well for us. And it came down to really being creative, being adaptable and, and really focusing on what's important to us and what we really want. So at any point I knew I had a choice. I could always quit, right? I, I'm my own business. I'm my own boss. Right. right. Um, at any point I could say I've had enough and knowing that I had that choice um, and then I was in a position to make that call. It was really empowering because I could keep going or not. So in the morning at five, when the alarm went off, I'd say, 
do I want to do this or don't I? And I, every day was yes. Yes, I do. I love what I do. I'm getting up at five. Um, I went to bed very early and I was very tired, right. oh, <laughs> and, I know. but, uh, but it worked. And, you know, I think one of the silver linings of COVID is actually the rebalancing of gender roles in our household. And my husband used to travel all of the time. Uh, and he, he hasn't, he hasn't traveled in seven or eight months now. And his relationship with our children is way better. His relationship with me is way better. And he picks up a lot more responsibilities in the house, which is a definite silver lining coming out of all of this. Thank you for sharing. Yes. Um, a lot of the studies I have seen that obviously women are strongly impacted, but if you want to look on the silver lining, as you said, I think what was previously a much more invisible um, work, the unpaid care work has been um, all of a sudden become the, the center and people really start realizing how much work it is. And to your point, um, how you're um, splitting it between your husband and yourself. I have uh, seen, especially out of Germany, several studies where men have also asked now their employer for you know adjustments in their work to be more flexible to be able to um uh you know look after their children and so i i definitely see positive things coming out of that yeah what covid really did was shine a light on the inequities in the system that still exists so i think they were thinly veiled before yeah um and covid basically unveiled everything uh, and showed us how how unequal it still really is. Um, so I think it's fantastic. And I think more men need to be having conversations with their employers about their roles and responsibilities at home and to be able to be open and have open conversations with their employers or their managers or their colleagues about it. I, I completely agree. So I'm wondering if you've heard in your community some particular best practice employers of, you know, how they have maybe given their um, employees more flexibility to cope with having to do homeschooling and pay care work and as well as doing full-time works most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot and it's, um, it's really testament to corporate culture, I would say on how much employers care about their employees. And I think what employers do right now is going to stay with them for years to come in terms of building their employer brand and how they treat their employees now is going to have a carry on effect to how their ability to attract talent in the future. So I've seen companies do wonderful things. So a lot, the most, the easiest thing um, I've seen companies do is sort of increase their paid time off. So you don't have to take vacation mm -hmm. uh, to look after your children. So again, just increasing the amount of time off that you have. Um, Twitter and Sun Life have done things like virtual summer camps, or they've done story time for younger kids. Um, with flexibility, I've seen companies implement flexible work policies, again, with this emphasis on productivity over hours worked. So, and some going so far as to implement like uh, dedicated time off. Okay, it's lunchtime. We're going to take a break from two to four. Uh, you're not supposed to be online, go spend time with your family. And especially when this behavior is modeled within an organization, so that managers, so that senior leadership are saying, hey, I'm not available right now because I'm taking time with my children. I think things like that are so important to reducing stress and anxiety from your employees. And ultimately, that's going to make them more productive. 
and just I would say ongoing because a lot of schooling and childcare has come back in, certainly in, in our region. Um, but employers are still embracing that ethos of how can we reduce stress and anxiety for our working parents to keep them engaged, to keep them productive and to help them. And I would say that productivity, valuing productivity over hours work is sort of stuck as has remote working, which is amazing. I was at a academically focused event the other day. And as we had a gathering afterwards, an informal talk, and um, the host basically said, our main guest speaker has to leave now because he has a very important appointment. He has to cook dinner for his family. And I felt that was so important as you were referring to role models, especially male senior leader role models, because then that trickles down and more people feel empowered to be able to do that themselves. I was actually just speaking to a company yesterday about some of the tools and tactics they could do to make men more comfortable speaking up about their responsibilities at home and to take a whole bunch of different situations and roles and responsibilities and have conversations openly about them and celebrate it, celebrate the roles that they have in outside of work as well. Um, and, and again, when you model it, when you see it, you can be it. It becomes easier to talk about it. In Germany, there is a father's network so that many organizations have actually father networks where they can talk among each other. It's just so much I feel that still can be done to... Yeah, make it more balanced for employers it's about having conversations with both sets of parents so it's about having conversations with fathers and mothers saying what do you need to be productive right now what do you need from us to be your best self at work um, how can we help you be do what you need to do at home so you can do what you need to do at work to both parents equally the same conversation i so agree <laughs> This is awesome. <laughs> we're, we're speaking the same language. I know. I, yeah. <laughs> I love this. So now, um, Jennifer, on your um, website, it says talent sits at the intersection of three major workforce trends in the future of work. Can you talk about that, please? Absolutely. So the three trends, and, and I wrote the website four years ago, but I would say it's even more relevant now, these three trends. Uh, so the first was it's first was flexible work. So flexibility at work has shifted from an emerging tr trend to sort of the hallmark in the future of work, not just in how and where employees do a job, but how companies scale their teams up and down um, using the gig economy to meet their business needs. So flexibility, I would say, is one of those key trends. And we were on this flexibility train before. And now that institutional mindsets around flexibility have sort of been catapulted into the future. So we've come so far on our thoughts around flexibility in the last seven months, which is awesome. So it was important before, it's even more important now. Uh, the second trend is really the skills gap. With the digitalization of our economy and the increasing pace of technological change comes this need to adapt and iterate at amazing speeds. I think Justin Trudeau said a couple of years ago that change has never been as fast that it is as it is right now, and it will never be this slow again. So the skills that you needed last quarter to succeed in your company may lo no longer be the, the skills that you need to succeed in this quarter. So you have to be able to attract, engage, and retain the skill set and resources that you need to stay competitive. 
So where are you going to get those skills? How are you going to access those skills? And especially, and how are you going to use them and leverage them? So really getting creative about how, where, and when you're going to access skills and bring it into your organization. Again, this is just catapulted. So you no longer have to just look in your postcode to get that skill set. Because if you're someone in a rural location thinking, okay, I need an AI machine learning expert, you, you have to have flexibility and you have to think differently about how you're going to access that talent and that skill set, especially because that skill set is going to be very pricey and expensive as well. Uh, and then the third trend is really diversity of thought. So the workforce is becoming more diverse with international barriers dissolving, more women in the workforce, increasing, like increasing ranges of all different ages entering the workforce. Um, and having that diverse talent really adds tremendous value to organizations through the diversity of thought. But more so than that, diverse perspectives increases innovation and productivity and access to different skill sets. And honestly, now more than ever, we need all brains on deck to really solve the social and economic problems that we're facing. You described that so well, because I feel often like diversity was maybe previously looked at maybe much more narrow than it is today. And yeah. when you also look at people that have been outside of the paid workforce, say for example, for a long time, and then now coming back maybe once COVID is all over, all the skills they have learned and they will be able to help problem solve it in a completely different way. And so I think there is so much to be gained. It's like I had a previous guest, Professor Dr. Eleonore Sui-Winkels, and given her non-linear resume, she was able to use different skills from multiple careers. She's a professor now teaching the students because she happened to have studied psychology and computer science. And I think going forward, that will make such a difference that we will be able to hopefully solve things such as the climate crisis faster because we have more diverse mindsets. Oh, absolutely. If you think, you know, I always say I can come up with a good idea, but until I get different perspectives, it doesn't become a great idea. Like I need other perspectives to make a good idea great. And then if you think about your consumers as well and who you're selling to, whether you're a bank, whether you're a service provider, you know, you're selling to a diverse audience. So it makes no sense if you don't know your audience and have diverse perspectives to be able to really refine your product offering and develop something that's going to resonate with your consumers. So it really does make good business sense to tap into that diversity of thought to that is your consumer base, especially in Canada. Um, and then also to come up with different ideas and perspectives. All our lived experiences are different. None of us have the exact same lived experience. And that intersectionality really brings a unique viewpoint um, to any discussion. And I, I honestly just think you can learn something from anybody in this world. There's always something that you can learn and there's always opportunity to see things from a different viewpoint. And I think that's the exciting bit about diversity and inclusion now too, which is just this, the power um, that comes in innovation through diversity of thought. Now we've talked a lot about flexibility already. And um, as you know, the name of my podcast is Job Sharing and 
beyond. And so I'm a huge fan of job sharing. And what I've noticed is, so um, Professor Reed, who is a guest on my show as well, he's written a book about job sharing and work sharing nearly 40 years ago. And he is um, an, a professor at the University of Toronto here in Canada, but still I feel job sharing has not really caught on that much, at least from my perspective within Canada. When I look at Europe, um, that has been a much more prominent form of um, flexible work. And so I'm wondering, have you encountered some examples of job sharing or top sharing, which is um, um, basically job sharing for management or expert um, positions here in Canada? I would say, Karen, I've heard snippets of it, snips of it coming up here and there and mm -hmm. seen some in the news or people trying to implement these job sharing policies. But nothing seems to have really stuck. And you know what? I'm not entirely sure why, because it makes a lot of sense from an access to networks. Just think if you hire two people instead of one, you've got two networks right. um, in terms of diversity of viewpoint and thought, as we just discussed, as with productivity. Um, you're going to get increased productivity by having two employees work on a project than one. Um, so I don't really know what the big barrier is. My guess is that maybe it's the short-term efforts of having to implement this new kind of system uh, and train up new people and doing something new or trying something different can maybe be a bit of a deterrent. Uh, and, and honestly, I think it's short-sighted because I think the long-term gain far outweighs that sort of pain point of implementing something new at the beginning. Um, I had a contact who used to work at Starbucks and she job shared for mm -hmm a lot of her career and swears by it and tried to implement some of that in her organization as well. But again, the uptake just wasn't there. And I would actually say that I, I did a job share proposal myself um, before I started talent. Uh, and I came up with a great case for it. And again, it, they ended up going with somebody else who could do the job full time, which to me was, you know, a, a choice that they made and it was the best decision for their business. But I also felt it was a little bit short-sighted because what I could have brought to the role with somebody else um, just seemed to be very, very convincing. I mean, obviously I'm biased in that because I put the case together about why it was such a good idea. But um, it, it's really surprising how, how little job sharing awareness um, or uptake there is in Canada. Yeah, it's um, so Maggie Pickett, um, who job shared in England for 23 years with the same partner, she told me um, that twice they, when they moved to a different position, twice they were actually replaced by two full-time people because their productivity was so high. And she always talked about the Wednesday sort of bump because they, they did Monday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Friday. And so then the new person came in on Wednesday, you know, full of energy and excited to get going. And also I think one thing maybe sometimes people underestimate is you have a sparing partner and you are accountable to that partner, right? So you really wanna make sure that you, you have produced something to show. And um, in a way that also makes it less work for a manager because you can talk to your sparing partner. So yeah, so, so my goal is really to 
hopefully see this more here in Canada, because to your point, I, I really think, and especially in a situation like COVID, I think that would be perfect if there is a job that somebody because of kids might not be able to do full-time any longer. But if there is somebody in a similar position at work, what if they were to work and make it, you know, work together. So it's better than having two people quit. Absolutely. And even from a productivity point of view, so there's the immediate overlap, there's a sparring partner, all of that stuff as well, but then there's job satisfaction and happiness as well. Right. Right. So even if they, they, the, there's need versus want, even if it's their preference to work part-time, who cares why, whether they have kids or they're caring or they want to study or do whatever else, if they're happier, happier employees have lower absenteeism, increased productivity. Um, they're better at what they do and they're going to be more loyal employees. So there's a whole range of positive outcomes by employing these sort of workforce strategies. Yeah. It's that short-term hurdle though, I believe of learning something new and different and why fix something if it isn't broken. And unfortunately, and this I saw too with flexible work policies as well as a lot of employers have done something one way their whole life and it's worked pretty, pretty well for them. So why would they move to remote or flexible work policies if they don't have to, if they're not forced to, um, when they can just keep going like they're going, unless something comes along and disrupts it like COVID, which is what we saw sort of, you know, going along with a status quo to, oh my goodness, now we have to go remote. Now we have to rethink flexibility. Now we have to adapt. And what we saw coming out of COVID was that a lot of them came out really positively with really positive mindsets around flexible work and remote work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I so agree. I feel if you have senior leaders who are more progressively thinking about the future and like how they can also stand out their brand, as you mentioned before, by offering something like job sharing or another form of flexible work, how that makes a difference in the war of talent as well. Now, we've talked a little bit before already about um, professionals returning back to the paid workforce after a long period of absence, maybe 10 or 15 years being an unpaid caregiver or looking after elderly relatives. Um, In um, the book Shorter by my guest, Alex Pang, he quoted a really interesting KPMG study from 2017. And it said, it estimated that worldwide 96 million working women between the ages of 30 and 54 were on career breaks. Of them, 55 million had been middle managers, executives, or senior professionals. And to be honest, that was the first time I had seen like in us this on on a whole world scale and what a large number it truly is. And um, in the US and in England, and also more and more now in India, there are companies um, providing returnships to allow these um, mainly women to come back more easily. And now you have a return to work coach on board and you've also had a flexible returnship with the turn lab. So could you share some more details for our listeners, please? Sure. 
So one of the things that we saw with our community was that a lot of the women who were looking for flexible workplaces were women who were on a career break and they were looking to re-enter the workforce. So they didn't want to go back to what they were doing before because that, that setup no longer worked for them. So they really wanted to find work that worked for them uh, through flexible workplaces. And what we saw was that there was a number of barriers holding them back. So yes, there's barriers on the employer end around sort of bias and discrimination, um, thinking about ageism, thinking about um, gender discrimination, thinking about childcare uh, challenges from the employer's perspective and the gap on the resume. So we're already against those challenges. But what I also found was that women had their own barriers that they had to overcome, especially around seeing the value um, that they had gained on having that career break. So yes, they had a career break from the traditional workforce. Right. No one sat at home and ate bonbons watching TV. Exactly, exactly. So working with women to really help them understand the value that they can offer and the skill set that they have, it's all still there. It's just reconnecting them with the belief that they can do the job that they want to do and helping them navigate how to find the work that's going to work for them. So we partnered up with the Turn Lab and we absolutely love the Turn Lab. They are very open-minded. They like things non-traditional. They are disruptors and they like to shake things up. Uh, and I just absolutely love this company. And we said, you know, what do you think about this segment of the workforce? And Melina was saying how great she thinks this segment is and they've got diverse perspectives and they've been doing different things. And often women will do continuous learning without even knowing they're doing continuous learning. Right. So. She said, why don't we partner up and put something together? So we offered a 12-week internship program where they were, the individual was coached by our return to work coach. Um, and then they worked in the office as well. And it was a part-time flexible returnship program. So they went in just part-time and with flexible work hours so that they could do whatever it is that they needed to do. And they were able to regain their confidence um, in their ability and their skill set. So all the stuff they thought or were worried about, maybe they forgot, actually came back up and they went, oh, right, I can do this. Um, it also gave them networks and connections in the working world again and something to put on their resume. And it turns out they didn't need something to put on their resume because they ended up getting a job full time with the turn labs and still having the flexibility they needed to live, live the life they wanted. So it worked out really well. We've talked about relaunching it again, but we paused because of COVID this year. Sure. Um, but Melina and I have had conversations about, about doing this again. We found amazing talent. We had amazing women come through. And, um, you know, even a gap of three years can really impact a woman's self-confidence and coming back to the workforce. And mostly through their professional network, I would say, because professional network is huge. Um, and I mean, I could talk about networking for, for hours on end. And if anybody's interested in networking, please reach out to me <laughs> uh, for, for information on it. But reconnecting with people and building up your confidence and getting back into that kind of setting is going to help you get your next job too. Yeah, it's, you know, and I think what you were saying about the confidence, to me, that's such an important thing. And I feel because society at this point in time or prior to COVID, I think so undervalued the efforts to actually do unpaid care work and also the skill sets that one learned from it. And I feel that's one other COVID, you know, silver lining that hopefully 
in the future, when somebody looks at a resume and sees that somebody had a quote unquote career break, that they remember back and say, oh yeah, this is real work. And, uh, you know, and it teaches you so many skills that maybe previously people might've simply not realized. I also think that I've sort of seen a mass, I shouldn't say mass exodus, but women leaving the traditional workforce and not wanting to go back into the traditional workforce. And there's this whole new emerging system of work that's, that's rising up and it's new funding models for women like CEO. It's new mm-hmm. childcare models like co-working spaces with childcare. It's the gig economy. It is the support and celebration of female entrepreneurs. It's this idea of collaboration over competition. So there's this new system of work really emerging. And I think there's a huge amount of opportunity in there for women because it's women supporting women. Um, And for a startup as a female owned startup saying, okay, well, I need to hire someone. I want someone who's got professional skills who can hit the ground running. Um, I I can't afford, or I don't need somebody full-time. I just need somebody part-time or flexibly. Let's have a look and see what's out there. And they know and appreciate what it takes to raise children. Um, So they know when there's that, there's less, sort of barriers um, or challenges to hiring women who may have a gap on, on their resume and more appreciation of the value that they can bring. So I'm really excited about this new system of work that's emerging. I think it's awesome. And I think there's new opportunities in there for women that are really exciting. And like one thing I had heard from Alex Peng as well, that he focuses, for example, on four day week. And in order to, you know, focus on the productivity rather than on the hours work, it actually benefits parents because people realize, oh, these are the people who are not necessarily going to maybe chit chat at a water cooler forever because they know they want to get in and out. And so it actually, from his conversations, he was saying that several of the companies were actively looking for parents because they knew the skill sets, the, you know, the focus of work. So I thought that was a very positive sign. Yeah. The number of times I've had employers approach me um, and say, I I really just want um, a mom, like a working mom, a working parent who can just come in and get this stuff done and get, and be organized and help me out uh, is, is huge. Uh, So, and I would also say on the four day work week, I'm seeing more and more people, um, start implementing these systems as well which is also really positive there's a company out here in toronto called polar doing four-day work week um, and there's another one out in montreal called the leap and i think we're going to see just new new models of doing things new ways of working um, and less worry about being traditional in the way that we work and i think again i just think it's really exciting yeah it's you know, the the whole aspect also that it's going to be maybe less sort of quote unquote downtown center focused and that instead of being five days in an office space, you might now be able to work maybe from a, you know, suburb or a town further outside and maybe go into a co-working space and maybe that co-working space has then a childcare and it's all much closer and maybe you don't have to commute by car maybe you can bike there or walk there and the same for the schools or um, you know daycares for the kids so yeah 
what companies are doing is they're empowering their employees. They're trusting them, right? They're building a, cust- a, a culture of trust, empowerment, and self- self-control. And I think that's the key to having happy employees. And happy employees are productive employees. They're cost-saving employees. They're great employees. They're the employees that you want. So I think this move is... I think it's beneficial for, for companies and for employees. Everybody wins. I was thinking just on your point before with um, one of the things I see on corporate culture pages sometimes, uh, they say, we work hard, play hard. And I always think, oh, that's the worst thing. I want to work hard and go home, right? Like, I don't want to <laughs> hang around and play hard. I want to I go home and live my life and do the things that I'm really interested in doing as well. So yeah, I want to work hard, but I want to go home when I'm done. So I was thinking in some of the corporate culture pages or career pages, when they're saying work hard, play hard, they're really, they're really targeting their message to a certain demographic um, and not being that, they're not attracting all kinds of different talent either. Yeah, it, it sounds less inclusive and diverse. And I, I, I really feel that in the future that will change and the COVID situation and where people work from will really make people rethink because I guess a lot of the perks were very much office driven as well, right? Like the billiard table or, or the free food or whatnot, right? But yes. if you can't the table, yeah. exactly, if you can't go to the office, that really doesn't help to attract talent, right? And it's not to discount some of those other things because um, part of that really builds a certain kind of culture and um, especially for people who are maybe living on their own or prefer that kind of environment. I think, you know, I think the future will be a blend or a hybrid of, of both, but ensuring, I I still think you need human connection. Um, And I mean, we're doing it right now over Zoom, which is great, but again, the co-working spaces, I think we're going to see a rise in co-working spaces and the uptake in that just to have camaraderie and conversation and that water cooler talk, which still is important to, to corporate culture. And, you know, you're mentioning a, a very important point, like I read like SAP in Germany, what they realized that a lot of their employees, um, are indeed, you know, living by themselves. So the whole COVID experience was quite lonely for them. And so what they did is they had a, um, you know, online barbecue and they had like, I think it was over a thousand people participating. That's awesome. Right. And they, I think they had some movie nights to ensure that every type of employee given their, you know, background or situation feels as part of a larger community regardless if they are in an office or at home so yeah absolutely and I would say that's what COVID did is impacted everybody differently so you know my experience and my perspective is is just one and there's so many out there um, and, you know, I had kids to, to keep me busy. And on the one hand, I was absolutely exhausted. And then on the other hand, I'm grateful that I had kids to keep me busy. So it's, it's just one perspective and everybody's been impacted differently. Yeah. So now, Jennifer, I could talk with you forever, but the time is coming to an end. So I just want to make sure that we have really covered everything today that you wanted to share with our listeners. 
Yeah, absolutely. If, um, if anybody wants to reach out, I would encourage you to connect me on LinkedIn. Uh, let me know that you heard me on the podcast and reach out and I'd be happy to pick up with any conversations or discussion. I love meeting new people. So feel free to reach out. Thank you. And now your website, what's the title of the website, <laughs> the URL, sorry. <laughs> it is talent. So we are talent.com. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the show today, Jennifer. It was truly a pleasure talking to you. It's always a pleasure talking to you, Karen. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.